names have meaning, don't they? Names have meaning. Well, there are, are uh, uh, two, two creatures running around my house who have some interesting, I mean, there's more than two creatures running around my house, but, but there are two that have uh, interesting reasons for the names that they have. So just about a week before we were to get married, I uh, convinced Audrey to, well, let's just stop in at the PetSmart and just, just look at the kittens. We won't get a kitten. And there was this big, chonky, orange tabby who, when we went into the room, curled up on my lap and purred and fell asleep. And I looked at her, and she knew all was lost. And so I called the, the lady who, who was you know, running the, the rescue, and I said, hey, we're about to get married. I don't know what to do. And she said, give us a good faith payment. We'll put him in foster care when you get done and with your wedding and back from your honeymoon. Give us a call. You can come get him. So eventually that happened, and in the process we ended up with a second cat, and that's a whole other story. But when he came to us, his name was James Townsend because he was found next to Jamestown. The problem with that was we knew at that point already that if we ever had a son and ever had a, yeah, a son, that we wanted to use the name James. And I wasn't going to do that to our son to name him after the cat. So we had to figure out what his new name was going to be. And it, we just didn't know. And then if you've ever met him, you, you, you will know why he ended up with the name Bubba. Because he's a Bubba. He's just sort of a big old doop 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 cat. He's that guy. You know that guy. You went to high school with him, right? And he totally could have played Division One ball. I mean, he could have he could have gone in the first round of the draft if he hadn't have blown his knee out that game sophomore year, right? You know that guy, Bubba. We love Bubba, but he's he's a Bubba. So that's how the cat ended up with the name Bubba. Because it fit him. Because it's who he was. Now there's another creature, I would say walking, but he's not walking yet. He's still crawling around our house. Who also was interesting how we came up with the name. We already knew that we wanted to use James, right? That's why the cat couldn't be James. And he's James for a couple of reasons. There are several men in my life who were mentors to me. One of my heroes of our Baptist faith was the 18th century Baptist preacher James Ireland, who spent months in the Culpeper County Jail for preaching the gospel. But his first name is Stacia. That's my first name. It's my daddy's first name. It was his aunt's first name. It was his grandfather's first name. Stacia James is the fifth generation. Stacia McNeese. He's the third Stacia J. McNeese. My dad's middle name is John. My great-grandfather's middle initial was J. He didn't have a middle name. He just had a middle initial. He's going to carry that, that name. I've carried that name my whole life, and it means something. It means more in Jefferson Davis County, Mississippi, maybe than it means in Robinson County, North Carolina, but it means something. Names have meanings. When we name people, we name them for reasons. You know, and in Hebrew, names in particular carry meaning. We miss that sometimes 
when we read in English translations because we read the name that's been transliterated into English and we don't read the meaning behind it. But but names in Hebrew have meaning. And for the ancient Hebrews, names were more than just a label like it was for us. It was, became an inseparable part of who that person was. It exposed their inner identity. We worship a God who has a name. It's called the, we, we refer to it sometimes as the tetragrammaton. Tetra meaning four, grammaton meaning letters. There are four letters in it. In English, we would render these Y-H-W-H. Because the Hebrews, in their infinite wisdom, didn't like vowels. Yahweh is often how we translate that. It does mean I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. God's name, the name that he calls himself, that he's given to us to call him, is, a, is, a, is a, an expression of his self-existence, of his self-sufficiency, of his supreme sovereignty. It speaks to his glory in creation and in redemption. The name of God speaks to who he is. We're continuing our study of the Ten Commandments. Can you guess which commandment we're looking at today? The third. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? We're in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses His name. This is the Word of God. Read it. Believe it and live it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we come before you this morning, as we sing praises to your name, as we pray in your name, and as we read your word in your name, my prayer is is that we would not misuse it, that we would honor it and glorify it and lift it high. God, as we study your word, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God, our King, the one who is. Amen. You may be seated. So we looked at commandment one, the first commandment, and the first commandment is is sort of, it deals with the true God, right? Right? You shall have no other gods before me. Why will we not have any other gods before him? Because there aren't any other gods to have before him. We can have idols, we can have false gods, but he is the true God. The second commandment that we looked at last week was about um, the true religion, right? Worshiping the real God, the true God in the right way. This third commandment is, is a bit about private religion, it's about how in our hearts and in our, in our lives we, we deal with God and interact with God. You know, the second commandment tells us that God reveals him, does not reveal himself in images. Does not seek and want or desire or, or allow for worship of him through an image. 
The third commandment reminds us that God has given us His name. And that that is how He wishes to be worshipped and reveal Himself is through His name. You know, an unnamed God is unknowable. Do do you all remember when Paul goes to Athens and he's on Mars Hill and he goes into the to the, to, the, to, the, to the Areopagus there, and he says, you are a very religious people. You have gods everywhere. In fact, you even have a temple to the unknown God. Well, let me tell you about the unknown God. He's not unknown to you anymore. His name is Yahweh, and you can know him through his son, Jesus the Christ. An unnamed God is unknown and unknowable. But our God is knowable, and he has a real name. But as we consider the third commandment, we need to not just think about when it says name that it just means Yahweh. Because the Bible uses all sorts of words and names to refer to God. El. E-L. You, 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 know, you know, there's, there's Beth-El, right? There's all sorts of words that show up in Hebrew that has El on the end. El means God. Elohim. The the name that Jesus invoked of God while he was on the cross. Some of you are of an age that you will remember El Shaddai. Remember there was a song a number of years ago, El Shaddai? There's Jesus. There's Christ. And then there is the triune name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The name in which all of us are baptized you know some have been so concerned about misusing the name of God that they've gone so far as to never use the name of God in fact the the only person who could ever utter the name of God in ancient Israel was the high priest and that only on one day on the day of atonement on the day of Yom Kippur if you ever spend time around a a contemporary observant Jews you may notice that they will even write the word God as G-D as a reminder to themselves to, to take seriously the name of God and to not misuse it. This is where Lord comes from. If you go back and you look at this verse 7 in your Bible, you will see um, it uses twice. It uses capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. We've talked about this when it shows up. In Scripture like that, what is in the Hebrew is the Tetragrammaton. This is the Christian Standard Bible. This is a revision of the Holman Christian Standard Bible that came out a number of years ago. And in the Holman, they actually didn't use Lord like that. They actually put in Yahweh. People didn't like it, so when they did the revision, they went back to what people were used to. Because we had always done it that way. That's a whole other conversation But the reason that we use Lord is because what the ancient scribes would do is they would put the vowel dots in around the tetragrammaton that were the same vowel dots that you would use for the word Adonai, which is the word for Lord. So that when the, the, the priest or the rabbi was reading Scripture and they came to that word, it would be a reminder not to say the word that was there, but to say Adonai. Because they took seriously this idea of the misuse of God's name. 
But here's the thing. Look right here in the very verse where it tells us not to misuse his name. His name is used twice. There is no command to not use the name of God. The command here is to not misuse it. You know, God's name is not magic. It's not an incantation that will get you what you want. That is one of the ways that God's name could be misused. That was one of the ways that the people around ancient Israel would use the names of their God. They would use them as mantras and as incantations to get what they wanted. But that's not what God is concerned about. That's not what happens when we invoke the name of God. Before we, before we get into the, the, the details, the th- sort of three categories that we can misuse the name, I want to come back and I want us to think about this word vain. Many of you probably learned the Ten Commandments in the original, not the original, huh, you didn't learn it in the original Greek. You learned it in the King James, which is not, in fact, original. We know this, right? Jesus did not actually speak King James English. I have had people actually say to me unironically that if the King James was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Jesus didn't use the King James. It came about in 1611 when the very gay King of England decided that he needed an authorized version of Scripture, and that's how we got the King James. But in the King James, it says, do not use the Lord's name in what? Vain. And that's a word that, that, that has been hard for us to use because it's not a word that us these days use a lot, right? It's one of the problems sometimes with using the King James is it uses words that were very common in the 1600s and aren't as common in usage today. The CSB here has translated as misuse. That works. I think a more literal translation of this may be, you shall not invoke the Lord your God for nothingness. You shall not invoke the Lord your God flippantly. You shall not invoke the Lord your God easily, slightly. So we end up with this, right? We end up with that God's name is more than His name, and we end up with the fact that we are not to be using it in nothingness. We're not to misuse it. So how might we do that? How might we misuse his name? There are three ways that we might do that. There are three ways. The first is that that we we can use his name to invoke that which is frivolous. The second is we can use it to invoke that which is false. And the third is we can invoke that which is phony. And I understand that false and phony are very similar, but there is a difference here. Just stick with me. The first is frivolous. There are are a couple of different ways that things might be frivolous. You all remember in Matthew 6 when when Jesus is telling folks how to pray, he he says not to pile up words the way Gentiles do. There's this idea sometimes that if we, if we pile up and heap up empty phrases, empty, pious expressions, that it will sound more holy. 
Some of you have probably known people like that in your life, right? That their whole speech was just littered with these pious expressions that that really didn't mean anything. Sometimes that can... That can fool us. Sometimes we can pile up pious expressions or someone can pile up pious expressions and we can go, oh, they know the Lord so well. But they're empty, vain words. Another way we can be frivolous is what about sort of empty and perfunctory prayers that we, that we just sort of use without thought? How many of us were so ingrained that we got to pray before we eat that when we get a food in front of us, we say, Dear Lord, thank you for the food. Amen. Or one that I will admit is a personal favorite. I learned at camp. Yub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Yay, God. Now, here's the thing. I think you can pray, yub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay, God, and mean it. And really be thanking God for your food. But how often can we do it and it's just frivolous and it's throwaway? Another way that we can be frivolous is by using God, the word God, or Jesus, or their derivatives as curse words. Now, this is where a lot of people think that we're talking about the Lord's name in vain, right? This is, this is, there are a lot of people who think this is the sum total of it. I hope we're going to see today that it's, that it's not. But, but you know this. Maybe you've done this. O-M-G. Did you see her dress? It's just like Becky's. What does O-M-G stand for? Oh my God. Oh, geez, that guy cut me off on the interstate. What's G's a derivative of? Jesus. Let's not, let's not fool ourselves. And I stand before you as the chief of sinners. But let's not fool ourselves that when we, when we, when we shorten them or change them or turn them upside down, that, that we're not still invoking the name of God. Why do we not want to invoke the name of God as a curse? Well, first of all, because He's the Creator, Savior, Judge, and King of the universe. He is the One who is. And His name should be not tossed out flippantly as an expression of shock or outrage or anger. And here's the thing, I think there are a lot of us who could go, man, this, you're right, preacher, you're so right, this is such a problem, the kids these days. Well, let me tell you, go back and read John Calvin. Go back and read Martin Luther. Go back and read the Puritans, because they are writing about exactly this at that time. And they're talking about the same expressions of shortened exclamation that invoke the name of God frivolously. This is not a new problem. Another way that we might use the name of God frivolously is that we use the name of God as a means to satisfy our own ambition or our own avarice. You know, there are people who who use God and use the name of God to turn a prophet. There There was a thing, I haven't seen it in a long time, 
But there was this thing when I know when I was in high school at home where a lot of businesses would stick the little fish symbol on the, the, their sign of their business or on their business card. You, did y'all ever experience that? Y'all ever see what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? The little, the little Jesus fish, the ichthus. What are they doing? They're invoking Jesus to turn a profit. They're telling you, you should come and do business with me because I know Jesus. Let me tell you something. Jesus would much rather you go and do business with him because you know that he knows Jesus because of the way he conducts his business, because of the kind of plumber he is, because of the kind of electrician that he is. Instead of invoking Jesus to turn a prophet, let's not use the name of Jesus, the name of God, frivolously. The second, we can use the name of God, we can misuse the name of God when we use it to support that which is false. There's one aspect of this in which we use it when we swear an oath and swear to something that we know is not true. Remember what Jesus says about swearing oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't swear to God. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because if the name of God is dwelling in the heart of the believer, then his or her word should be as good as God's. And no extra oath should be needed. A believer's character and words should be as trustworthy as that of the living God. So don't use it when you swear an oath. Another way that we can use it when it's false is when, when we use the name of God to, to uh, ascribe a false sense of authority to our own ideas, our own plans, or our own opinions. I had a three-hour lecture in seminary on the third commandment. It was the hobby horse of my Old Testament professor. And he told this story when he was a young man studying at Samford University in Birmingham, was Samford College at the time, they were all getting ready for finals. And they were all in the library and they were studying. And he noticed that one person was going from group to group around the library and he would say something to them and he would walk on and the people would go, and then they'd get up and leave. And Dr. Biddle wanted to know what was happening. And the man, the young man finally came to him and he leaned over. He said, this must be really important. There must be something going on. All these people praying and leaving the library. And the guy comes over and said to him, hey, the Krispy Kreme's closing in 20 minutes. You want to go get a donut? And what the people were doing is they were sitting there and they were, they were falsely praying to God to justify going and getting a donut instead of staying in the library and studying. Dr. Biddle said, he said, I've observed in my life that God never once has been against going and getting a donut. We use it, and we use the name of God to ascribe a false sense of authority to our ideas, to our plans, to our opinions. Don't slap the name of God on the back of plans just because you feel strongly about them. Philip Ryken phrases it this way, a more serious way to break the third commandment is by using God's name to advance our own agenda. Some Christians say, the Lord told me to do this, or worse, they say, the Lord told me to tell you to do this. This is a false prophecy. God has already written what he needs to say to us in his word. Of course, there is also an inward leading of the Holy Spirit 
But this is an inward leading only. And it should not be misrepresentative as an author- misrepresented as an authoritative word from God. We can use the, word, the name of God falsely. And finally, the third is we can use the word of God, the name of God, to justify that which is phony. And I recognize that false and phony are very similar, but there's a there is a difference here. Let's think about let's think about if we think about phony, let's think about the word hypocrite. We can have phony worship, right? We can come in here on Sunday morning and we can sing and we can pray and we cannot really mean it. Fake it till you make it doesn't apply to worship. Here's another one. How many of you have heard a politician or someone else end a speech with God bless you and God bless America? It sounds lovely, doesn't it? But do they mean it? Are they invoking the name of God seriously? Or is it just something to say? Is it a way to to make themselves look good with the voters? Let us never use the Lord's name in a perfunctory or trite manner. Because when we... When we present ourselves to the world as Christians, we are carrying the name of God. And so we must act and think and feel and speak in a way that is proper for those who are called by the holy name of God. Those who have been baptized by His holy name. Christian means little Christ's. And we can talk all the time that, that Christ was a title and not a name, but let's be honest, right? We think of it as a name of God. It's, it is. It's who he is. It's his identity. Messiah. Anointed. Savior. The worst thing that can be phony about us is us. We can come in here on Sunday morning and we can sing the songs and we can sit in the pew and we can go to church and we can say all the right things and we can read our Bible and we can even pray the prayers, but it's not real. And it's not reality. And if we're called by the holy name of God, we must not sully that name by living as if our conduct does not concern him or his kingdom. See, God has a name, and that name allows us to know him personally, to know him. He is not an unknowable God. He is the knowable God. I fear that there are those who claim the name, who sit in pews across this country. They may be deacons. They may even be preaching elders who do so in vain. They don't know God. They use His name to name themselves, but there is no new life. There is no regeneration. They live a lie. If you want to 
know a lot about the Ten Commandments. Go back and read the Sermon on the Mount. This is really Jesus preaching on the Ten Commandments. And he ends the Sermon on the Mount this way. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. What? A shock. People who profess the name of Christ, people who are professing Christians on the day of judgment come to stand before God. People who have even been involved in the ministry of His name stand before God only to be cast into hell. Because while they claimed the name of God, they were claiming it in vain. It was on their lips, but it was not in their hearts. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And if Jesus will receive that at the end of history, then does he not deserve that honor now? If He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the One who has come as the perfect Redeemer for us because He is both fully man and fully God, is He not worthy for us to respect His name? And to bind His name not to our lips or to our mind, but to our heart? And to be born again? Brothers and sisters, there are many ways that we can use the Lord's name in vain. I pray that none of us use it in vain to mislead ourselves into thinking that we know Him when we don't. Our hymn of invitation this morning is going to be hymn number 370.